Boy, talk about some great worship songs this morning. Oh my goodness. Wow. And I love it when the worship music ties directly into uh, the message. And uh, we heard some great positional truth there um, in one of those songs, I am who you say I am. I'm not who I say I am. It's who God says I am. Great positional truth there. And talking about God's grace as well. Wow. Awesome this morning. Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Doug. I'm one of the elders here. It's great to be with you. Um, <clears throat> I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Uh, the bad news is that everybody that was available to speak is gone today, which leaves you with me. But that's also good news <clears throat> uh, because this is going to be quick because I'm not an eloquent speaker and I'm not an experienced speaker, so I have no idea how long this is going to take. I'm guessing it's going to be short, so you're going to get out early, so you're welcome. <laughs> or are we? Okay, so uh, to start things off, I've got a few questions for you. How do you know that you're spiritually alive? What are the signs? If I were to ask people in your sphere of influence if you were spiritually alive if, and if you were a Christ follower, what would they say? What would their response be based on what they know about you? Uh, what would they say about your reactions, your, your habits, uh, the way you talk, uh, the way you respond to circumstances around you like uh, tragedy or um, maybe opposition? About what you read, how you treat your family, how you treat others. If they were to ride with you in your car and somebody cut you off, what would they see? What would your response be? What would they hear? So that one really hits me hard because even though I'm pretty chill on the outside, don't cut me off. <laughs> it's really tough sometimes, isn't it, to not react to things like that. And I've failed in the past, I don't know about you. Um, but how you live your life has meaning and it has purpose. Our main purpose is to glorify God in all that we do, right? All that we do and say. And in order to do that, you've got to be spiritually alive. So I go back to my original question. How do you know that you're spiritually alive? What are the signs or proofs of that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, but before we do, um, let's start off with a word of prayer, because we're going to need it. I'm going to need it. Father, thank you so much, first of all, for the opportunity to praise your holy name this morning. As we lifted up your name in song this morning, Father, um, we were inspired again, just, uh, and reminded again how awesome and wonderful and faithful you are, how great your grace is, and that you've called us by name. So thank you, Father, for the time that we can share this morning. I, I just pray that you would give us something that we stand in need of this morning from your word and that your, uh, your word would stand out and that you would have the preeminence this morning, that you would be glorified, but that uh, by your grace, you would give us something that we can really hold on to this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> 
Okay, I wanted to start off this morning's message by um, setting it up a little bit. Uh, my wife, Marty, was good enough to share with me a devotional that really ties in with this topic, and I wanted to read an excerpt from it. But first, I'd like you to turn with me in the scripture to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. This is talking about the church at Laodicea. And uh, it's, it's not really a very encouraging passage, but it really ties in well with what we're talking about today. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to start out in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you I say, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And here's this uh, passage from a book by Paul Tripp that I wanted to read to you uh, from his devotional regarding this passage. He said, Here's the problem that these hard words are addressing in a warning that we all need to hear. You and I like to think that no one has a clearer, more accurate view of us than we do. We all tend to be way too trusting of our view of ourselves. We do this because we do not take seriously what the Bible says about the dynamic of spiritual blindness. If sin is deceitful, and it is, if sin blinds, and it does, then as long as sin lurks inside me, there will be patches of spiritual blindness. I simply will not see myself with the accuracy that I think I do. In the language of poverty and riches, the passage basically says, you look at yourself and you think you're okay, but you're far from okay. I don't know about you, but I feel like I just got beat up. Uh, so, <laughs> encouraging, right? But here's the thing. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you're gonna have moments of spiritual blindness. You're going to fall. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. But we need to get to the point in our lives where we stumble less and we look to Jesus more, right? And more frequently. And there's things that we can do, things that we can add to our faith that help us to look more and more like we actually belong to Jesus. Uh, turn right now to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> I love this passage of Scripture because it really is encouraging. 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read verses, um, I'm going to start at verse 3, then we'll read some following verses as well. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them 
you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Do you see one of the things that he said? He said, we, f we can forget that we were cleansed from our former sins. Really? Yeah. That's a problem. That's part of our problem. We get so busy with all the stuff that's going around us, we don't have time to add to our faith the things that make us more like him. And we don't have time to live for him. We're too busy. You think that cell phone streamlines your life? <laughs> it actually does the opposite. It's added more stuff for me to do. I can't add to my faith. I've got too many likes on my Facebook page. I can't ignore that right now. That's important. See that red, those red numbers up there? I've got to click those because you know what? Somebody liked what I just posted. That's important to me. So I don't have time. I'm too busy for anything else. So the first part of this passage is a great example of something called uh, posi positional truth versus practical truth. Our position in Christ, our salvation and subsequent right standing because of his work on the cross, has been accomplished by who? Jesus. Did we have anything to do with that? No. We didn't deserve that. We couldn't earn that. We couldn't earn his favor. That's called grace. And what's grace? from an unobligated giver. But grace requires a response from the receiver, doesn't it? What kind of a response? Well, one thing is gratitude. And living in a way that shows our gratitude. And that list in 2 Peter chapter 1, that's, that's what we're talking about. So what I want to do is give you three simple things with which you can test yourself to see if you're on track, to affirm whether you're spiritually alive. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 5. So turn there. Mark chapter 5. Now we're going to be going through a lot of scripture this morning because I want you to hear what it has to say more than what I have to say. So keep your Bibles at the ready. Keep your thumbs limber if you're using a Bible app on your phone or tablet. Even though I use a, a Bible app occasionally, I love to still hear the, the rattling of pages uh, that are turned. Uh, so let's uh, turn to Mark chapter 5, and then we'll dig in. Mark chapter 5, and let's start in verse uh, 21. And we're going to skip down after a little bit here. Verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again into the boat on the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue... 
Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Then a great followed him. And then at that point, uh, there was an, a woman in the crowd that he had also healed as well. Uh, skip down to verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. I love the way the King James said th says this. Um, they laughed him to scorn. I love the way it says, says that. And then continuing, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was about 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Why did he do that? I mean, besides the miracle, which is awesome, raised her to life, he commanded that they give her something to eat. Why? I don't really know. Only to say this. They gave her something to eat to attest that she was alive. Now, I don't know about you, but after I've worked a long day, Okay, I don't work all that hard. But when I used to work hard, after a long day coming home, uh, I used to work in a factory, so after a long day I'd come home and I'd, I'd be hungry, right? I'd be famished. Don't you think that this little girl, after she went through all of this, would have been hungry? I mean, little kids are hungry all the time anyway. When our son was still living at home, when he was, when he was single, but he was an adult, he ate all the time. When he moved out of the house, you know how much we saved every week on groceries? $60. We saved $60 a week after he moved out. So we started going out to eat after that. <laughs> so the first point is, you'll have a spiritual appetite if you're spiritually alive. You'll have a spiritual appetite. The girl was given food to attest that she was alive. We need to have an appetite for God's word. I fail in this. We all do. We all need to get better at reading God's word and studying God's word. But that's one of the signs that you're spiritually alive. You'll have a spiritual appetite. You'll have an appetite for this, for the word of God. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to look in verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, 
and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And he drew near to the gate of the town, or as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, that is the casket, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, if you're at a funeral and Jesus comes by and raises the guy to life out of the casket, guess what? Funeral's over. It's just over. So, I mean, but can you imagine that happening? I Put yourself in their place. What, what an incredible thing that's happened. But he raises this guy to, to life. What's the first thing that he does? According to this passage. What did he do? He spoke. Didn't he? So the second point is, if you're spiritually alive, you're going to have spiritual speech. The man, the dead man spoke well, not dead then, when after he arose, he spoke to attest that he was alive. Turn to 2 Corinthians. I told you we were going to be jumping around here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. start in verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, quote, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So this quote in here within this passage, I believed and so I spoke, and then we also believe and so we also speak. So if we're spiritually alive, we're going to speak like we are. How many times have we been put in situations where we're tempted to say things that we're not supposed to say as Christians? Not only as maybe an expletive, but a negative word about somebody else, a criticism about somebody else that may not even be deserved. But your emotions get the better of you. Don't raise your hand. How many have done that? But I mean, I, I'm old. So I've had a lot of... <laughs> I can tell you how old I am, but I, I've had a lot of experience with this, and I'm still tempted to say things that I'm not supposed to say as a Christian, and to criticize, or, or to be negative, or to be unfaithful, or, or doubt, or just write out curse. Just for the record, I, 
don't do that. I'm just saying. But I think about it, and the words form in the back of my head, and they don't make it to the front, but they could easily, especially when you're cut off by a, another driver. And what does Matthew 12 says? Matthew 12 and verse 33 30 through 36, you can look that up later. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. <laughs> is that true or what? It is true. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we have to have spiritual speech. Do we do it perfectly? No, we don't. We sure don't. I don't. But we need to be more and more and get like Jesus and, and adding to our faith and getting to that point. And that's, that's the, the, uh, the practical side of that, the practical truth side, is that we should be walking and, and becoming more and more like Jesus, not the other way around. We shouldn't be walking away. We should be walking towards Jesus and becoming more and more like him. And, and that's practical truth. Okay, turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. This is a story about Lazarus. Um, Jesus was moved with compassion and he wept over this one. Lazarus was a friend. In verse um, 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Again, I like how the King James puts this. If you've got the King James, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it says something like, but Lord, he stinketh. All those years when I worked in the factory and I came home and took my shoes off, or Marty would say, you know, relax, take your shoes off. The kids would go, but mom, he stinketh. So Lazarus was raised from the dead. They... Um, In verse 40, Jesus said to Martha, did, you, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So what did Lazarus do? He walked out of the tomb. Pretty cool thing. Lazarus walked to attest that he was alive. They didn't carry him out. He walked out. And they took off his, the wrappings and, and let him go. And he walked. <clears throat> now I love this word walk. <clears throat> and we'll be spending the rest of our time talking about our spiritual walk, but that's the third point. 
if you're spiritually alive, you're going to have a spiritual walk. And we'll flesh that out here as we talk more about it. And we're spending the rest of our, the rest of our time on this. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 8. I love Romans 8. <clears throat> a lot of familiarity with this passage for all of us, I think. But these first eight verses in chapter 8, um, it's a really great picture here. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Remember Lazarus, he's set free. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. These are great verses to go back and refer to again, by the way, if you're writing these down. A lot of them very familiar, but very valuable for our Christian walk. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Pretty simple. Then turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. First John 1, and we'll look starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we need to walk in the light. Then look at chapter 2, same, same book. Chapter 2, look in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
Are you starting to see that walking with Jesus is pretty important? The scripture talks a lot about it. So what we're going to do is, I'm going to have you turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be spending pretty much the rest of our time in Ephesians. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at the types of walks for the Christian. And there's a number of them, and you'll start to see how this all fits together as we go through them. So look in verse, um, look at chapter 2 of Ephesians and verse 2. Let's start in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So this word walk is the Greek word peripateo. And it means to tread all around. So you were walking all around um, in the past and didn't really have much, much direction in your life except what you were thinking about yourself, but you're walking all around. This is, this is called the past walk. Psalm 51 mentions this as well. Uh, kind of ties in. Um, you can turn there if you want, but Psalm 51 starting in verse 1, says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. So we were conceived in iniquity, and that's how we started to walk until we met Jesus. So there's the past walk. And then go back to Ephesians chapter, we'll stay in chapter 2. Ephesians 2, look down in verse 8. We all love this passage, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see that? God prepared good works for us to walk in. He prepared good works for us to do before we were even conceived. These were prepared just for us. 
And so we have to walk in those good works. Now, remember what we said? We can't work to earn our salvation. Grace is a, a gift from God. We can't earn that. But we respond, don't we, because of God's gift. We're responders to, to the marvelous gift of salvation. And so this is how we walk. We walk in these good works that have been prepared for us to walk in. So that's the prepared walk because these works were prepared for us. Next, we talk about the practical walk. Look in chapter four of Ephesians. The practical walk. I therefore, verse one, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So he says, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, this word called basically is the, the Greek word klesis, which is employment or vocation. This is a calling. This is the word calling. It's, um, it's the way, the, the practical way that we live out our Christian faith. So it's very practical. Next is the peculiar walk. Ephesians 4, look down in verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. So this is a peculiar walk. Don't walk as other Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. You be different. Don't be conceited. Don't be confused. Don't be calloused as these verses are saying. What's 1 Peter 2.9 say? It's very familiar to you. It talks about being peculiar, doesn't it? About being peculiar people. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Be peculiar. You're to be different than the world. And that difference is made possible by Jesus, Right? Next, we have the patterned walk. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5, first couple of verses there. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So be followers of God. Walk in love as Christ loved us. How was Christ? What was he like? 
He was compassionate, right? He was forgiving. He was prayerful. Remember his prayer for his disciples in John chapter 17. He was unselfish. And so then we have the public walk. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, You once were in darkness, but now you're light in the world. Walk in light. So that's the public walk. We're not walking in privacy. We're to walk out and live out our faith in public, right? Wherever we live, wherever we are. Here's this practical truth again about walking out our faith and doing it in front of people so that they know, they can see a difference in you by the way you're living, by the way you're talking, by the way you treat others, your ethics, all of those kinds of things. So it's a public walk. Uh, and then finally, it's a particular walk. Look, stay in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, look down in verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So in the King James, it uses this word circumspect, walk circumspectly. What does that mean? That's a big word. I don't think I can even spell it. Probably could if I tried. But it's the same word going back that we saw before. It's that peripatio. It means to tread all around. In this context, it's talking about being aware of your surroundings. Being aware of everything that's around you. Walk circumspectly. Not as unwise, but as wise. Redeeming the time. So understanding what the will of the Lord is. What's the will of the Lord? That we walk in Him, right? And so we have this, this big word that just simply means look all around. Be aware of your surroundings. God brings into your life certain people that He wants to bless or He wants to bring to Him, and guess what? He's going to use you. So walk circumspectly. Be aware of your surroundings. Tread all around. Be aware of what's going on around you. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit, he says. Give an outward display of an inward joy. Give thanks. Be unselfish. So, how do you know if you're spiritually alive? Number one, you'll have a spiritual appetite. You'll have spiritual speech. And you'll have a spiritual walk are you spiritually alive let's pray father thanks for this time together for all the promises in your word the very clear scripture that talks to us and teaches us that we need to walk in your ways not our own help us to understand that we were called to this and that we are to understand what your will is and what you have for us. Help us to walk in these ways. We're not perfect. We don't, we don't 
do it all, all the time, the way you want us to. But yet, you give us your Holy Spirit and you give us the power to do it. Not by our own strength, but by your strength. Help us to rely on you and to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. In Jesus' name, amen.